You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, I'm talking to my producer, Ben Wallach. Ben, it's great to have you as a guest because you have been working with us for the last couple of months. And I think that, especially now, as our, our country has really been drawn into war, and the images are terrible. I wanted to reach out to you because not only you are an Israeli citizen with a family living here, uh, feeling the fear and terror in a way, you're also an ex-soldier. So I wanted to get your perspective on things. So Ben, tell me, you're from where originally? So I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised there. And uh, I made Aliyah in 2009, right after I graduated from Queens College. So been here for 14 years. And was your Aliyah done in conjunction with your family, or was it a decision you decided on your own? So, yeah, this was a decision I decided on my own. I kind of came to the decision at some point during my first year in Israel, in, in yeshiva, and uh, kind of rushed through college to to get it over with, because I was kind of waiting with bated breath to get back to Israel. And uh, I guess a couple of years later, my brother joined me in, in Israel, and then now, thank God, I'm married. I have two kids, and my parents made Aliyah during the coronavirus, so feels like everybody kind of showed up, although my extended family is still in Brooklyn and my sister's in New York as well. So you were sort of like the pace setter. And you knew when you were making Aliyah that, of course, Army service was going to be part of this. Yes. So Army was obviously going to be a part of it because I think uh, until at, the, at that time, if you, you had to wait till 26 to make Aliyah and not serve in the Army. And I made Aliyah at, at 22. So I was, I was drafted for six months of my, um, they call it Sadir, like my the regular service, not the reserve unit. You know, a Brooklyn boy uh, being subjected to army life, was it strange? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was very strange in many ways. Uh, for me, I felt, even though I was very young at the time, I got drafted at 23, I still felt old compared to the other soldiers who were like 19, 18. Now I realize how young I was. The, the difference in age at the time was, felt very vast. So it was very strange for me to be, you know, already having a degree and and kind of in this different kind of environment. Well, I have to tell you, you know, you know my son, of course, Nehemiah, you know, or your brother lives in the same community where he does in Karmegat. And he also joined the army as a lone soldier, as a Chayel Bodeid. And when I went to visit him at his base, I took him back after my older son's wedding. Uh, one of the uh, guards young fellow that let him in, we actually weren't able to go back in, said to me so quizzically, why, why is he doing this? <laughs> why is this American boy who has parents in America and probably a wonderful home and a big backyard somewhere, why does he want to come and subject himself to this type of life? And I think the Israelis never get it. There's these American, there are Israelis that are Anglo in a way, Many, even they, don't understand why someone would come from America yeah. and join the Israeli army. The effectiveness of any soldier is how much he feels part of the unit. When the other members of the unit somehow dis are disconnected because they can't comprehend who that person is, despite their physical or mental gifts, it can sometimes be a problem. Did you ever feel that you didn't gel with your unit because they just couldn't get you? You're an American. You didn't speak of it the way they did. You came there like like your story was so different. Did you did you think that was a problem? Um, no, honestly, no. If anything, it was all good. You know, there's all kinds of Israelis from all kinds of different backgrounds, and you know, 
I wasn't in a combat unit. You know, I was working on a, on a, on a, on a base, but everybody was from such different backgrounds. You know, you have Russian Jews, you know, Israeli Jews of different, you know, descents and just kind of as a big mishmash. It's like a, a cultural mo- mosaic or whatever they call it, you know, melting pot. So people, I think, respected me for being American. And like, that was like, you know, the thing that, you know, they, they, I was like, oh, the American, you know, and I was with another guy named Ben. So we were like the two Bennies uh-huh. and it was pretty funny. But yeah, I, I felt no, no issue with that. I've never felt like an outsider because I'm Dafka, not from Israel originally, because there's so many people from so many, it's still a country of immigrants, you know what I mean? To some extent. So that was never really an issue for me. Your experience as a chayal has a little bit of relevance to what's happening now, because you actually were close to the Gaza border twice. Yeah. In my reserve duty, I served in both Amud Anan and in Suketan, which were in 2012 and 2014, respectively. And, you know, we were sitting on the, you know, the land near Gaza where they were going to enter from. We never went in. And I don't know if I even would have actually gone in myself, but uh, we were just kind of waiting around and, you know, dodging mortar fire both times, pretty much, you know, the whole time we were there. So those operations were in response to rocket fire and to attacks from Gaza onto civilians. Nothing even close to the scale of what we saw last Shabbos. No. Um, in fact, it seems to me, and I think you probably concur, that the initial rocket fire was really almost a cover for what was really going to happen. In other words, the rockets, they pretty much knew were going to be more or less uh, suppressed by the Iron Dome and other sorts of shields that Baruch Hashem we have. Yeah. But what they really wanted to do is to get us off guard and then use their uh, cyber security units to basically disconnect the wall and penetrate to the point of the terror attacks that they did, uh, of really breaking through and going into all the uh, the Yishuvim, the Kibbutzim, and basically slaughtering, murdering, raping, really, you know, to, to the the inhuman acts uh, that they perpetrated upon us. And in that way, I, I think it, this feels a lot different than Suketan or yeah. Amud Anan. Yes. Um, you know, because we both of us have been here in Eretz Israel. We both heard the sirens. How are you and your wife handling this? What are you, what's your feelings? Yeah, it's very hard. I'm thankful that I'm not in the army this time because that was very scary on a personal level, but I'm much more scared on a global level now. I, I was sa- I was scared for my own safety and the safety of my friends in the army, you know, in 2012 and 2014. But now I'm like scared for the whole country, you know? It's a, it's just frightening that um, we had such a, we made such a big blunder that costed, you know, so much. I'm scared because uh, it doesn't feel like there's any grown-ups in the room now, you know? That makes sense. Clearly, there was. Uh, there's going to have to be an investigation as to why the intelligence data was totally lacking. How nobody understood what was going to happen. I mean, we know it was 50 years, almost exactly to the day of the Yom Kippur yeah. war, and you know, especially since you know Israeli intelligence units are touted as being the best in the world. How could they not have been aware that? these plans were being done, whether through Iran. I, I don't know if it's what you're saying. There has to probably be some connection between the tremendous divide in Israeli society to this rupture in the intelligence community. 
it would probably be illogical to say that there wouldn't be any connection. But, you know, I have a uh, something that I that was sent to me from someone who is who has been called up. Let me read it to you. He says, hi, everyone. Writing from the south, one of the border kibbutzim. First up, I know the hostage and casualty situation is absolutely awful. October 7th was, was Israel's 9-11. The military battle is under control. Army's got its act together and is winning it. I'm there, and this is coming firsthand. Morale is high, including among units which have suffered significant losses. The war is now all about the home front psychological battle. Hamas struck a big blow and is multiplying its success through feeding of fear and doubt, using the natural human thirst for information. They're experts at this. As difficult as it is, we have to take ourselves away from the video and telegram groups, pictures of hostages. We have to use the delete button. Accept the uncertainty. Two, love, trust, and take pride in our country, which remains the miracle that it is. And three, help each other within our capabilities. Donate blood, be active on social media, look out for our neighbors. Everyone's a soldier now. I'm Yisrael Chai. Yeah, it's beautiful. And that is, that's the fellow that I was staying at who was called up. And, and, and in hearing that makes me feel that we aren't going to fall apart. You know, I'm, I'm staying at the uh, Plaza Hotel and I'm there with a bunch of trapped Americans, people who were planning to be on planes now and going back to their lives. And I'm not going to talk about the Americans because I actually have my issues with them, to tell you the truth. But the Israelis and the people around, the staff, the people on the street, I'm trying to radiate positivity towards them and they're trying to radiate it back. The people on the street, I think that there is a, a will and a determination Yes, the fishers are there in the country, but do you really believe that we're not going to be able to handle whatever comes our way? Are you? Do you have a fear? I don't know where it could come from. You're not a, you're not a, a strategist, and you're not a, a <laughs> geopolitical. No, I'm not, maven. I'm, I'm not even you know a pundit. I'm, yeah. I'm just a, I'm just an audio just engineer. A, yeah, <laughs> who happens to live in Yerushalayim. Yes, but do do you see this becoming an assault from? The North as well. You think that's, that's my that's one of my big fears. Yeah, is you know could come from the North also now. It just it doesn't feel like the country has a handle on the situation. Even if they do, I hope they do. I I do have faith that we'll pull you know we'll pull through together as a country as a as a you know as people. And I think we're when we're when we're united. You know, you kind of hinted at this. When we're united, we definitely stand stronger. Well, I'll share something that one of the rabbis who was stuck in the in the hotel shared with me. We're going to maybe end with this. He said that, um, you know, there's a famous Midrash. The Midrash says that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get it when God explained to him the donations that everyone had to give. It was called the Machatzit HaShekel, the Machatzit HaShekel. And the Midrash says Moshe was troubled. He didn't get it. He says he couldn't understand it until God showed him a Matbeah Shel Esh, so the simple idea is that, so, you know, what does God have? He doesn't have a, his computer, his fire in the sky. So he showed him an image of what the coin looked like. Now, again, Moshe grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was probably very familiar with different types of coins of the realm. 
he didn't understand that this was a shekel that had to be given. So my rabbi friend said to me, what Moshe couldn't understand was how everybody would be able to contribute equally, how everybody would, everyone, and also recognizing that they were all half of something. That machzis shekel means it's not complete. Realize you're giving this, everyone is on the same level, and you need another piece in order to be complete. Moshe says, I get, I'm with these people all the time. They are cantankerous. They insult each other. They talk against each other. Are you telling me they could really become one and donate in such a way? So God said, let me show you. When it's a matbeah of Aish, when there's fire, if there's a house on fire, everybody recognizes it. All of a sudden, people recognize the danger. They all work to, for each other to help save one, one another. Maybe that's what we need. It's a terrible, terrible price if this is what the price of unity. But this Matbeya Shalesh is really what perhaps God is, is telling us. And maybe that fire can be lit underneath us in order to, to, base, to come together in, in such a positive way. Look, Ben, on my way up here, you're up here on the ninth floor. I came up with some people and I said to them, it's a beautiful day, isn't it, in Yerushalayim? I said, let's hope that that type of positiveness is going to extend throughout the country and throughout. Uh, and, and God should be with our soldiers. And they said, yes, amen, amen, amen. These guys were without yarmulkes. They said, yes, amen, can you do it? So, so, all right, Ben, remember, we still need you over here to <laughs> keep on doing your producing. Um, <laughs> we'll have you back as a guest, perhaps. And maybe I can come on your show because, you know, of course, Ben is not only a producer, but he's also got his own podcast called Secret Sonics. It's and a very niche show. Yes, yes, yes. It has nothing to do with hedgehogs at all. That I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> we'll catch you next time, guys. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.